Hi, everybody, and welcome to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. I'm Austin. You can find me on Twitter at RealBirdLawyer. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Taylor, at Taylor underscore wit. We're brought to you by the Pigskin Podcast Network at PigskinPodNet. Official Always Sunny in Chiefs merch through our friends at DabBodT, DabBodT.com, on Twitter at DabBodT. Check out our partners, DraftKings and Underdog Fantasy. Use our promo code SUNNY and Underdog to get a matching deposit up to $100 on your account. And we're joined for the entirety of today's show by a very special guest, Charles Goldman. Charles, a fellow Colorado resident, as am I, has been the managing editor at Chiefs Wire since April of 2018. He's covered the Chiefs since 2016. He's been featured across the USA Today Network. He's a member of the Pro Football Writers of America. He's recently joined friend of the podcast, Craig Stout and company at the KC Sports Network. Charles, what is going on? Hey, fellas. Uh, thanks so much for, for having me on the podcast. I've... Uh... I've been a, a longtime fan and listener, so I'm excited uh, excited to join y'all. We're excited to have you. It is great to have you. And Charles, before we get into it, just kind of tell everybody what you're up to. I know, obviously, this is a crazy busy time of year for you. You're still doing your stuff at Chiefs Wire. I know you're bringing great content uh, for the, the folks that subscribe to KC Sports Network, KCSN. What do you got going on right now, man? Yeah, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, You know, Chiefs Wire, we we do it up over at the website. We have the Chiefs Wire podcast. Um, Also do uh, USA Today Sports Weekly. Um, So if you're into print media, go check that out. comes out, uh, I believe, actually. It's funny because it's USA Today Sports Weekly magazine yet i think it's a monthly (laughs) it's a monthly mag right but uh that's pretty funny but uh and no i just uh i started up uh with uh casey sports network with uh bj kissel and all the guys over there i'm i'm uh, heading up their uh kcsn daily newsletter Um, oh yeah so monday through friday every uh i've been loving the newsletter throughout the season you can uh you can get the newsletter and you can check it out you can uh, it's it's all free so you can go over to casey sports network pick up a free sub and get it every day this week throughout the season today's was isaiah pacheco hype is real that's got me that's got we're gonna let's not let's not blow the content that's a good tease it's propping the propping the newsletter baby definitely talk about isaiah pacheco and for those of you that don't follow him on twitter you can find him at gold mc t nfl is there like a way to pronounce your Twitter handle that's that, that like rolls off the tongue a little you bit? You know, it, it's like literally just like the the my my uh, first <laughs> and middle initial is so Charles, and then my middle name's Tucker. There you go. Folks. There you go. There you go. And then you know the first like five of my last name. So it's perfect. It's, it's like a it's like a corporate email address, but I love it. Yep. It works yep. for you. Yep. So yep. we got a great show for you guys today. We're going to talk a little bit about the news. We've got a little bit of news that is non-Chiefs related, but the big NFL news of the week, Sean Watson, the Miami Dolphins getting suspended for tampering. And then we're just going to talk about training camp and we're going to lean on Charles's expertise and his experience covering the team, his boots on the ground with Chiefs Wire and obviously the content that he's getting through um, KC Sports Network. We're going to dive into all of that. But first, we have the So the big Chiefs news, guys, from this week, Orlando Brown Jr. ends his holdout after one week. He reports to camp. And so before we get into the dedicated training camp talk, we have to talk about Orlando Brown Jr. When we were off the air here, I have him listed in our document as OBJ. Uh, Orlando Brown Jr., OBJ. OB Jr. OB Jr. OB Jr. is what Charles suggested. I like that. We'll go with that. OB Jr. So obviously he did not report at the start of camp. 
but he was in St. Joe on Monday to sign his franchise tag, and he was on the field on Tuesday for the second day in pads. So, Charles, I'll kick it over to you. Do you have a sense at all of why this kind of played out the way that it did? Because obviously he we've discussed on the podcast, and I'm sure you have um, over at Chiefs Wire and KCSN as well, didn't really make a whole lot of sense. He didn't have a whole lot of leverage in this situation. Obviously, he didn't really lose out on anything financially. I just am trying to get a sense for, you know, why a week? Why not two, three, week one, whatever it was? Do you have a, Do you have any sense of why this kind of played out the way that it did? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's kind of legitimately the way he says, says it is with it, you know, right? He, he knows that this part of camp once the pads come on like how important that is after having been there last year and you know I, I think that's something that he was like willing to to risk and like risk you know potentially you know injuring himself or something like that you know to show the team hey like I, I can be this team player I want to be here for the team I want to you know I want I, I really want to be here for you know beyond this one franchise tag year right so um I, I think the first week, you know, I mean, I think you can kind of toss it and just just think he didn't want to come out here and be at training camp as hot out in St. Joe. I mean, sure. he, he, he can get away with, with that. And um, just my, my general sense of, of the way things kind of played out with, uh, you know, the, the negotiations and no long-term deal happening, I, I kind of get the sense that, really both sides were kind of feeling things out, but they were both kind of comfortable with the possible outcome of just like having, having him on the franchise tag this one year. So you don't, you don't quite feel that there could be some more behind the scenes animosity or resentment than what we're seeing. You kind of feel like everyone's playing their cards pretty, you know, above board at this point. Yeah. I I think there could be a little bit of stuff that, you know, but I don't think in the long term that it'll affect um, a deal getting done between the two sides. I think right. they both still legitimately want uh, a long-term deal to happen if there is a way to that. And, um, you know, I think Orlando kind of laid it out the way he wants it. He wants, he wants to ensure that he has more guaranteed money so that the chiefs will keep him for more years. Um, so, you know, it, with the contract structure he was looking at, it was like, Hey, you know, first two years are guaranteed. Well, hey, I can get that on the franchise Anywhere. tag, right? Yeah. Um, but he wanted that commitment from the team. You know, he wanted three or four years guaranteed um, to where they're saying, hey, like, we believe in you. We believe you can be the guy at, at left tackle. Do you um, believe in him? You know, I, I, I do believe that he can be that franchise guy. And I think that we're going to see, you know, these next couple of weeks that, you know, the work he's put in this off season, whether or not that will impact his game to take him kind of to the next level uh, as a left tackle. And, you know, I think, uh, I, I think it's going to be kind of a, an up and down year for him. I mean, obviously he's going to have some tough matchups here in the AFC yeah, West, tons no of pass yeah. rushers. No joke. Um, but I think he's going to be able to go out there and make that case this year. And, and, and I think at the end of the day, it's probably what he wanted. Um, because if he goes out and he makes that case, right, and he's like, "Hey, I'm like, you he's know, gonna get a shitload of money." <laughs> yeah, he, he's gonna get more money than than that contract they offered him was, um, and and I think he's gonna be plenty pleased with that. 
yeah, I think uh, I think that's all a good observation. And I, I agree. We talked about this, Charles, obviously, a couple of, of weeks ago when, you know, there was an indication that he might hold out. But it does seem like, you know, in hindsight, this kind of makes sense. He's there for pads. He's he's going to be prepared. He probably isn't losing anything in terms of preparation, you know, missing that first week when they're not in pads. And so he's putting himself in a position to be prepared. And he gets to take a week off from camp and he gets to spend a week where he's not out in the heat, but he is, it does seem like he is putting himself in the best position to be successful. And that benefits everybody. It benefits him. It benefits the chiefs, whether they end up signing into a long-term deal next year or not. I mean, obviously, you know, Taylor and I have talked about this previously, but he, the chiefs always have the option to tag him and trade him next year. You know um, they have some, some flexibility there. And obviously if he goes out and plays well, that that's a good thing for everybody. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that there is a possibility where, you know, things turn out a way where, where they decide to spend the money elsewhere. I mean, you know, Juju Smith Schuster is on a one one year deal. If he comes out and he's wide receiver one, you know, with the way the wide receiver market has uh, exploded, if they want to lock him up uh, on a, on a longer term deal, you know, that may play an impact. Then you've got to consider Juan Thornhill, Michael Hardman. you got a lot of guys who are on these uh, contract years. So so maybe you do tag, you know, Orlando again, um, and, and you're comfortable just leaving him on the tag again uh, instead sure. of playing him that long. You think he'd year. play? You'd uh, have to tag and trade him, I would think. It, it's possible. I mean, I think it's possible that he would play. Um, would he be happy? I mean, I don't, I don't think he would be happy. Um I, I think, you know, you'd have to at least make like a good faith type of attempt in negotiations sure. to sign him to a long term deal for him to even potentially consider reporting a second year in a row on the tag. But I, I mean, I think it's possible, especially, you know, it, what, what happens if they go out and they have a bunch of success this year? They right. make it to the Super Bowl. You know, I mean, that that also changes things with guys. They win a ring and then, you know, all of a sudden maybe he's a little bit more content playing on that one-year deal if he has another shot at chasing a ring. Sure. We'll talk more about Orlando Brown Jr. in our training camp segment, but first we have a couple of big news stories from around the NFL that we are going to break down briefly, sort of tangentially involve the Chiefs. They're both AFC teams, and I think AFC teams that both view themselves as contenders this year, which obviously the Chiefs do as well. So it is pertinent to the conversation that we're having here. We'll start with Deshaun Watson. Obviously, uh, we've been waiting for a year plus to see how this is going to resolve itself from the NFL's angle. There obviously has been a civil suit, most of which have settled at this point. I think there's maybe still one civil case pending and a criminal case, which was presented to a grand jury, two grand juries, in fact, in Texas, who failed to indict on the many, many, many allegations of sexual misconduct. On Monday, we got the long-awaited decision from Judge Sue Robinson, who was appointed by the NFL, to hear this dispute. She finds Watson guilty of violating the personal conduct policy, and the suspension is six games. Your initial reactions, Taylor, we'll start with you for this one. Yeah, I mean, my reaction was the same as everyone else, that six games was a joke, basically. But then when you read the, the reasoning behind it, I get where she's coming from. The NFL has set horrible, inconsistent precedents with punishments. And you've had, you know, Zeke Elliott got six games for one person accusing him. You got, you know, you've had just tons and tons of inconsistencies. And she basically is, says in her statement, like, yes, this was insane and, and aggravated. And, you know, he, he definitely deserves to get the book thrown at him. But unfortunately, Roger, your book says six games. And that's kind of 
how she approached it. Um, I was very glad to see the NFL immediately appealed. Um, but yeah, six games, not enough, clearly. And everyone agrees. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, the, the six games thing, that was, uh, you know, uh, unfortunate. But I, I feel like this is exactly what the NFL wanted. Um, I feel like they wanted to have the opportunity to appeal. I, I think it's like the theater of the league, so to speak, right? Like, sure. Like they they wanted this opportunity to appeal, so Roger Goodell can come and like swoop in and you know appoint this new arbiter and you know try to get him suspended. Whether it works or not, he's going to come off looking like okay. Well, we tried. We we you know we we tried to to suspend him, but you know we have things set up in such a backwards way. We couldn't we couldn't do it the way we wanted to. Um, it makes him kind of look like this kind of this champion for, for women, first time. <laughs> so speak, you know, um, I, I think it just sets him up uh, in a, in a favorable position, whether, you know, the, the uh, appeal to get him suspended for longer goes through or not. Now, the way I understand this and Austin, correct me if I'm wrong, since you're a legal expert, if, if you are wrong. <laughs> or ever on any topic, correct me if I'm sure. wrong, but well, uh, I understand it that the second, basically the appeals, uh, designee, designee, I think is what they call that designated. Anyway, can basically Rogers going to handpick them and they're going to pretty much, it's almost like picking a Supreme court justice or something like they're going to do what Roger wants them to do. I fully expect the year to stick now. I, I feel like that's, I'd be pretty shocked at this point if he picks someone that's not going to agree with him and suspend him a year. Austin, is that kind of the sense you're getting from this? That's my understanding, although obviously I think there there probably are some legal paths that Deshaun could pursue if the NFL does just throw the book at him. But this is something where now I am not that's not my area of expertise of in the law yeah. at all. Now, when we were opining on the grand juries and the criminal aspect of it, I feel very comfortable giving <laughs> legal opinions about that. But I do have some connections in hashtag appellate Twitter. And appellate Twitter and NFL Twitter crossed over this week, and it was wonderful. Really, what I'm hearing is it's a great decision for the NFL. And I think Charles really hit it on the head because, number one, I mean, the opinion from Judge Robinson says he definitely did it. It's extremely egregious and horrible conduct, mm -hmm. and it should be punished as severely as we, we can, can. <laughs> fairly punish him. Yeah. Now, where her opinion goes somewhat awry and I disagree with this from a legal standpoint, although I am approaching this not as somebody that does collective bargaining or arbitration or that sort of thing. She sort of came out and said, look, this is all egregious conduct, but the league has set a precedent for nonviolent sexual conduct mm -hmm. that really the most that you can be suspended for to six games. Now, the NFL, I think, quite fairly argued to Judge Robinson that even if you lump this into the same camp as other sex cases that the NFL has had and guys jump in here, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Like I, I'm sure that she probably referenced some in her opinion. I don't have it in front of me, but I mean, the NFL's argument was, look, I mean, this is unprecedented behavior. It deserves an unprecedented punishment, which I think is completely fair. I, I mean, I, I think legally, that may be a less persuasive argument than it is logically, but logically that argument has very strong appeal for me. Well, so if you think about it at an, on an per accuser basis, he basically got a quarter of a game per accuser. 
Like, you know, so if you think about, you know, if one, if Zeke got six games for one accuser, then you would think it would be domestic violence case and not to diminish domestic violence. But I think as a society, we treat sexual violence more seriously. And then a lot of sexual violence is domestic violence, but right. Um, I mean, but also Zeke, if I remember correctly, had a relationship with that woman, of course, right? He like did. She was he a did. girlfriend. Yes. And these are strangers that Deshaun Watson has been just... Yeah, so uh, again, I think <laughs> yes. if yeah, if this bad. case was one person, if this was just Ashley Solis and none of the other accusers, six games would have been like, okay, that makes sense. That's one person. It's it's Deshaun versus... You know, that's kind of the, the right. like bar there. Then you had 23 other ones on top of that, or right. whatever the total number of accusers ended up being. I think it was 24. But um, yeah, it just felt like they were taking the fact that it was one story and saying, well, you get six games per story. I don't care if it was one or 20 or 100 women that you did this to, and, and that just seems completely backwards. Yeah, it does. I mean, just to turn this back to football, because obviously this is a it's a tough topic to talk about. And I think we're obligated to talk about it because it's, it's a big story, but you know, this is, this is an interesting decision, not just for, fortunately uh, some of the chiefs troublemakers um, <laughs> who I don't necessarily feel the need to name sure. by name. It does not need to be said, uh, but some of those players are no longer on the team. Fortunately, the chiefs don't have any players that are accused of anything like this or, or facing any kind of, of uh, discipline for this kind of behavior, but it is going to be interesting to see number one, how the league sets precedent, but number two, I mean, we're talking about, you know, 16 teams in the AFC. I think the Browns with Deshaun Watson certainly view themselves as a contender and should be viewed as a contender. We obviously have not seen them on the field in over a year, but this is a big deal because if Deshaun Watson is suspended for a year, you can write the Browns off, right? Like there is no chance that the Browns with Jacoby Brissett for 17 games are posing any kind of threat to the Chiefs in the AFC. Fair? Yeah, I agree. I mean, the AFC North is tough as it is with Baltimore and Cincinnati. And, you know, maybe if the Browns were in a weaker division, you could kind of squint your eyes and see. They have some decent playmakers around them. They've got, you know, Miles Garrett and all those. But, sure, no. good team. Yeah, good team. Amari Cooper they just added. But, no, uh, without Deshaun Watson, they go to the bottom I mean, certainly right there with Pittsburgh as the two worst teams in that division. Our second bit of news uh, that came out this week, other than the Deshaun Watson thing that kind of some people were joking, uh, kind of felt like a little bit of a distraction piece or I don't know. I mean, just the timing was a little interesting, but the Miami Dolphins were hit pretty pretty significantly, especially compared to um, all the other. There have only been three first round picks lost in NFL history were taken away. And this was the third one. And this was for tampering and tanking accusations. Now the tanking bit of it, that former coach Brian Flores brought up about their owner saying he would pay a hundred thousand dollars per loss that the NFL decided that that was not substantiated, that it was mostly said in jest, even though Brian Flores disagreed. And he wrote a strong letter to the Miami brass at the time, basically their whole organization saying this is, crap basically but the nfl docked the dolphins for the the tampering of talking to tom brady and sean payton while they were still under contract with the patriots one time and the bucks one time for tom brady and then of course with the new orleans saints with sean payton they docked them a first round pick in the 2023 draft which is 
extremely harsh for, for that type of penalty. And they also forfeit a 2024 third round selection. Their owner, Stephen Ross, is suspended through October 17th, 2022, which, you know, for me as a fan, an owner getting suspended. Sure, an owner nothing. Getting suspended. They say that he can't show up to team events or go to the team facility. Nope. Like he Ooh, he's going to be puttering around on his yacht. Yeah, like, exactly. Like Dan Snyder. Uh, during that. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, but maybe what's more significant for him, maybe not. But he cannot attend any league meetings prior to the annual meeting in 2023. And he is removed from all league committees indefinitely. And probably the worst thing, fined $1.5 million, even though he's a billionaire. So that probably doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, Bruce Beal, who's the Dolphins vice chairman and limited partner, may also not attend any league meetings for the remainder of this season and is fined $500,000. So first, I want to start with a nugget that Sarah Spain on Twitter pointed out, which everyone has kind of been making the rounds. Tom Brady has been involved in all three forfeited first round picks in NFL history in 2008 for the Spygate scandal. The Patriots had to uh give up a first round pick in 2016 for deflate gate. Uh, the Patriots had to give up a first round pick there. And then of course this one with the dolphins talking illegally to Tom Brady. So uh, first question, obviously is Tom Brady ever going to stop cheating? Or do you think this is just hmm. woven into his DNA as a competitor? I mean, he's never going to stop cheating. The man can't be stopped. And the three instances that you have named all three of which he was directly involved with. Only right. one of those times was he actually disciplined for it. <laughs> the other times he got away with it. He never, he, he personally never served any time for Spygate. And I, I get that, you know, I mean, he probably was, he wasn't the one doing the filming obviously, but he certainly benefited. He yeah. He, he knew and he benefited from it. He, he got suspended for basically not deflating the footballs, but he didn't cooperate with the investigation. He, he destroyed, destroyed his phones. His, he destroyed his phone, which is obviously extremely suspicious behavior. Strong <laughs> evidence of his destroy their phones. I mean, listen, you know, we're talking about January 6th and the Secret Service deleting all their text messages. Right. You, you know, we needed, we got Alex Jones's texts this week, we and it was just a beautiful Juicy. font Gold of information. Line. Tom Brady, unfortunately, a little bit more slippery than Alex Jones, just smashed his phone up. You can't get text messages out of a smashed phone. This tampering situation, though. I mean, he tampered with the Dolphins when he was still with the Patriots and when he was still with the Bucks. Yeah. yeah. He and he's not going to get suspended for it. He's still on the Buccaneers. It's ridiculous. He's above the law. Yeah, no, Charles, what do you think? I, I, I think it's absurd that he's not going to get punished for it, but, I mean, I get it. They're not going <laughs> to suspend the great Tom Brady. In his in last his, NFL season. In his last <laughs> NFL season. You know? I mean, they, they, they wouldn't do that. It doesn't matter that, you know, his offensive line has been through the ringer in training camp, and he's probably yeah. going to get smashed to pieces this year. But I mean, they're just not going to – they're not going to do it. They're going to let him go out on his terms because uh, he's been the uh, greatest of all time asterisk cheater. You know, so the timing with the 2021 Bucks tampering was basically from from how it sounds, he was ready to go to the Bron or the the Dolphins. I almost said the Broncos because we're talking about cheaters, and obviously they're the first ones that come to my mind. But that checks out. But they so it sounded like maybe Miami was reaching out to him, and he was trying to figure out, do I want to go be a player owner in Miami? And then he decided at the last second to come back to the Bucks, and then this year he retires for 40 days and it's hard to say if he was once again contemplating a switch over to ownership with the dolphins or, I mean, this whole thing just stinks of someone that 
feels above the law, that feels like, you know, I can, I know I'm under contract, but I'm going to go ahead and negotiate stuff on the side anyway. And it just makes me wonder about Brady's legacy and if any of these things are going to end up mattering. You know, I mean, Barry Bonds isn't in the Hall of Fame. And yes, he was, you know, found cheating, but Brady was too. And, and I just don't see for some reason Brady getting that same Bonds treatment of like, yeah, you're the GOAT, but we're not going to, you know, we're, we're going to keep you out because of cheating. It just kind of, I don't know, it grinds my gears. But, you know, one quick thing before we move on to training camp, I, I do want to bring this back to our discussion in the AFC. And I feel like yeah, the sanctions here, which are pretty unprecedented, first and a third. Mm-hmm. A first and a third I mean, this is, this is a very substantial sanction for the tampering that the Dolphins engaged in, which to be fair, was blatant and extensive and egregious. Yeah. And they deserve to be fined and have draft picks forfeited. I'm still steamed about the quote unquote tampering that the Chiefs did with Jeremy Macklin. Ugh. We're like we're like one of the only teams to ever be punished for tampering in the history of the NFL. Yes. We like called Jeremy Macklin a day early or whatever, <laughs> and they literally like flirted with Tom Brady under contract with two different teams for two years. Yeah, whatever. I mean, we didn't lose. Andy Reid asked if he so. wanted to get a cheeseburger, and it's I mean, like tam- tampering, tampering. Whoa, <laughs> outrageous. Anyway, <sighs> I I feel like this. I mean, we'll see if Tua takes the leap this year. But obviously now it seems like the Dolphins, they have all their eggs in the Tua basket. They're obviously, they can't go back to the Tom Brady well, although it would be hilarious if they tried. It would. He's a free agent after the season. and It, you would. Know, it would be very be funny 46. if they lost that draft pick. But Tom Brady would never sign with them because now they don't have that draft pick. They forfeited it with tampering. They do so still have be... a first-round draft pick that they got in the Trey Lance deal, so they do right, have the, the 49ers, 49ers. first-round draft pick. But they had a boatload of draft picks, and then they, they traded for Tyreek Hill, and they got caught tampering. And now, yeah, now the Dolphins are basically all in on Tua. They don't really have much of a backup plan to you know, fall back and reload in the draft if things don't go right this year. And, you know, I was listening to uh, CDOT on 610 on my drive today, and – he made a hilarious point that the Dolphins just seem ripe for week eight infighting Tyreek Hill wide open on a game winning plat pass that's underthrown. He throws his hands up like honey badger. And like this whole thing just seems like it's, you know, ready to burst before it even gets going. And I'm just going to be so interested to see how that goes. I do hope for, for Tyreek's sake that two is the guy, because if he's not now, he, I mean, yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> like he could have gonna... cost himself a lot too. I mean, he got a lot of money, but legacy wise and success in the NFL. And, you know, if he sticks as Patrick Mahomes wide receiver one, sky's the limit on his career, hall of fame, best all time, all that stuff. That's, that's all in there. And now he goes to dolphins and yeah, if Tua sucks, I mean, Tyreek Hill is just going to end up being another dude. And that would be sad for a guy with his talent. It needed to be said, guys. It just needed to be said. No, it did not. Football fans, DraftKings changed the fantasy game forever in 2012. Now, 10 years later, they're doing it again with Rainmakers Football, their first ever NFT fantasy game. A new way to enjoy daily fantasy football, a new shot to win millions in prizes, and the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFLPA. Playing Rainmakers Football is simple. Buy, sell, bid, and win player cards of the biggest names in the game throughout regular drops and auctions. Build your collection of football stars and enter free Rainmaker football contests all season long to complete for millions in jaw-dropping prizes. Each week, craft your lineups of athletes from your NFT collection and rack up points for touchdowns, receptions, and more like you would in daily fantasy football. 
The next generation of fantasy sports is almost here. Download DraftKings Fantasy app now and sign up with promo code TPPN. Click on the Rainmakers title and opt in so you can be ready for the next drop. Play free for millions in prizes all football season and build the ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers Football. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Let's talk about training camp. Boys, this was the first week in pads. And for me, this is when training camp really starts. I mean, if we're being honest, the first week without pads, it's cool. We get a couple of neat videos. Hmm. But this is when when the pads come on, that's when the training big boys camp really are out. starts. Yep. And Charles, I know you have covered training camp. Obviously, you've been covering the team since 2016. How many training camps have you actually been out to? Oh, uh, I went... 2017 2018 2019 didn't get out there for 2020 so i've been i've been uh, i've been to three are you gonna uh, make it out this year I, i'm hoping i'm hoping that i get out there the last week not not 100 sure on that yet there's a possibility uh, i have had uh my minions out there uh, over over with chiefs wire and of course casey and uh casey Essen, uh has been well represented out there uh we got eddie high out there our, our video guru and uh, uh tucker's been out there just grinding living out there yeah and, and, I, and i believe that uh you know a couple a couple others i think kent got out for a day i think craig's been out a couple times so. i actually wasn't aware that any media other than kcsn was at training camp <laughs> it is amazing how thoroughly they have dominated it with the video coverage i mean you all the viral tweet videos that i've seen have been kcsn video that's gotten out there so we're on top of it man huge yeah. kudos to your to your cohorts over at KCSN. I want to start uh Charles with a question just kind of for you about camp generally and with your experience covering the team um you seem like a good person to put this question to. So the first day of pads Monday Juju Smith-Schuster tweeted today was the hardest practice of my NFL career. He did the laugh cry emoji and we're just getting started and he did I, I put like a grunting emoji like Triumph. It's, it's the it, triumph emoji. Is that yeah. what you call it? It's with the, the with the, the steam like coming out of the, the nose. Yeah, it's the triumph. Nose. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, why is it called the triumph emoji? Just because you're exciting. triumphing. You're you're triumphant. Okay. It's All like right. a okay. it's like a victorious grunt. It's not like okay. good good to know. I I like grunting emoji. So Charles, we know Andy obviously runs a very tough, very physical camp relative to the rest of the league. There aren't too many guys left in the league that run camp the way that Andy does. Obviously. Belichick does um, a lot of Andy's a lot of the guys in Andy's coaching tree run pretty physical camps. So Harbaugh obviously and Ron Rivera and those guys, but do you think the players like that? Or I guess maybe a better word is, do you think the players respond to that? Uh, I, I think it's going to depend on the player. I think, you know, for someone like Juju who is trying to get out there and kind of recapture the greatness of his career after an, an injury year, I, I think guy like that absolutely responds to it. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where <laughs> I feel I feel a little bad for him too because even like that first padded day was kind of like a light day because they have to like ramp them up. <laughs> right. I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't have like a full like padded practice like right away. Like like we'll get that like tomorrow. We'll get yeah. that 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 big padded practice coming coming soon. But. Um, that that first one was kind of a, a baby one, so to speak, and it's probably a good thing if it was the toughest one for him, right? To to give him that kind of ramp up, but uh, you know, I think I think certain players do respond to it, and I, I I think for the most part, everyone in Kansas City is really bought in 
uh, to, to the way they do things. And um, I, I think you see that, you know, from top to bottom, you look at, you know, the guys who've been there longest, you know, Kelsey, even Mahomes, uh, uh, how he's out there and kind of commanding things. It's training, training camp, which is yeah. like, Jeez, he's growing old so yeah. fast. Six, yeah. six, because he was in 2017. 17, right, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. That's crazy. Charles, do you feel like a tough training camp or a, a physically demanding training camp as a as a football fan analyst? Do you, do you feel like that helps the Chiefs more than it hurts? Like, would you prefer if you're running a team to have your coach kind of run them into the ground in training camp so that they're ready for the season? Yeah, I think you know it's about building that that physical and mental toughness um, because it's a long it's a long season it's a grind so um, getting them prepared uh, you know their bodies prepared to to go through that but also their minds prepared to to go through that um, is important. Speaking of minds, we have to talk about this Russell Wilson. I, I, yes, the, yes. The, the mental reps tweet that's oh, been going well, around man. where through his entire game of the in the huddle by himself and then he yeah. and and then they started his teammates were saying they've never seen anyone do these mental reps next level is next how James level James Palmer is falling fully hard for it. he lives in Denver yes. he's buying the hype he's seeing the billboards I just... you know Aaron Rodgers heard about this and he <laughs> immediately went and requested a trade to Denver yes uh so, so that he could do that while he's on some DMT <laughs> boy uh just wild news coming out about quarterbacks this week uh yeah. it's just uh it's crazy it's it's nice to have you know just kind of a square nice at quarterback but but not a square in the Russell Wilson sense because that's not a personal personally yeah, square he right, just does just, everything correct he just doesn't correct. ever make us right. cringe or say i can't believe our quarterback said that or did that he just he just gets it man so let's talk about position battles so charles this is to me one of the two best things about training camp we'll talk about the second one in a minute so i have to give you props we were hanging out about a month ago craig stout was out here we all three grabbed a beer and both of you told me that you thought ronald jones who the chief signed in free agency this offseason was not going to make the team and i said well that's crazy ronald jones has got you know he's got some size he's got some bursts they they spent not a lot of money in free agency. He's not guaranteed very much, but I thought, you know, this is a guy that I, I think will make the team. Now we all agree. He's bad in pass protection. He's very bad in pass protection, but boy, the running back competition is getting extremely fierce right now. We obviously uh, know Clyde Edwards Lair is probably going to make a team. He's probably a lock. You've got Jarek McKinnon and Derek Gore both returning as well. You've got Ronald Jones coming in a free agency, and then you've got the UDFAs, uh, Tayon Davis fleet, Jerry on Ely, and seventh round pick Isaiah Pacheco, who was featured in your KCSN newsletter this week. So Pacheco's kind of been the talk of the first week of camp and pads. How do you see this running back battle shaking out? Because I'm starting to agree with you that it looks kind of bad for Ronald Jones. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced he's not going to make it yet. I, I'm going to give him a chance in like the preseason to impress, but I don't necessarily think that means that that he's going to end up making it either because that could just be building you know trade value or something like that but um bill o'brien when you need him (laughs) right the the way that i'm kind of seeing things right now uh clyde edwards lair far and away he actually looks like the the best guy at camp from what i've heard and what i've seen um he he's having a really good camp uh he looks like that top guy um jarek mckinnon they brought him back and when clyde you know had the was on the PUP really quick and 
they were kind of easing him back in those first couple of days. Jarek was getting all the number one reps. And, you know, if you'll recall, I mean, he was invited to Mahomes' wedding. Like he's yeah. really good friends with Mahomes and how he finished the season last year. Like the Chiefs yeah. know what he can Great do as a starting guy in their offense. Like maybe he's not the number one. Maybe he's like the number Maybe he's the number three, but they're comfortable keeping him on ice, knowing that, hey, like we can bring this guy in at a moment's notice and he can he can be the guy. Well, especially like, so that's, given Clyde's injury history, they definitely right. want someone that they could slot in if necessary. Yeah. Yep. So that's an important thing. And then, you know, Pacheco has been flashing throughout camp and uh, he's got a gear that, you know, some of the other running backs here just don't have. And, you know, he's bigger than people realize, you know, he's got like, it's like 5'10", 215, I believe. Like he's, he's got some size. Um, obviously Dave Tobe likes him. They like him as the starting kick returner, named him starting kick returner, at least for the Bears game. But I think that will persist so long as he doesn't, you know, have like, like fumbleitis uh, or some, sure. some types of issues in, pre, in the preseason. Um and, and, you know, he's just one of those guys who kind of wants to do it all and is is kind of good. He's well-rounded right now. Like, he's a guy who can catch those those seam routes. Right. He's a guy um, who can run it between the tackles. He, he's someone who has really good vision uh, compared to some of the other guys on, on the team. And um, I, I think when you, when you package all of that together, like, it, it, it's hard to see by the end of the season Pacheco not being – running back too. Like, I think, I think that is like his ceiling for, for the year. And I think that he will get there relatively quickly as long as, you know, the floor doesn't fall out beneath him in these next couple of weeks. So, you know, historically speaking, the chiefs are going to probably carry, I mean, assuming they carry Burton at fullback, they're probably only going to carry two or three actual running backs. And you've got Clyde making the team, obviously he looks like the best guy in, you know, he's a first round pick. He's going to make it. I mean, after that, you think it's maybe McKinnon and Pacheco that are going to be the next two guys. I, I think you can probably lock all three of those guys in right now. And I, I think there is a possibility possibility that they carry four running backs. They have in wow. the past in addition to a fullback. Um, and, and I think that last spot is uh, if they, if they decide to go that route, it's going to be between Gore and Jones and, and I just don't know that 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 Jones is going to have the edge over Gore. I mean, if we look at like the earliest snaps in training camp, he Jones was getting snaps behind Derek Gore on the second team. Right. Uh, Pacheco and Gore were getting snaps on the second team ahead of Jones. And, um, you know, I have seen some good things from Jones at training camp, but a lot of them have come in nine on seven periods, which are designed for running back success. So, sure. so it's kind of hard to like gauge, you know, that, that type of stuff. But I, I mean, I, I look at what's coming up with the preseason. I feel like it's going to be very similar to what we saw uh, with Josh Jacobs in the Raiders in the hall of fame game. Like, I, I feel like he's going to get like two or three series to really go out there and show uh, and showcase what he's got. And, you know, uh, depending on what that is and, and what is going on behind the scenes will really determine whether or not Jones makes it or he's, you know, a guy that they, they end up, you know, viewing as like, say, a Carlos Hyde or a DeAndre Washington, where it's like, hey, like, we'll flip this guy for a sixth or seventh round draft pick to a team that might, you know, have a running back injury. 
Sure. And again, sadly, Bill O'Brien is no longer in the league <laughs> to, to be making those acquisitions. But there's always, rest teams, in peace. <laughs> there's always teams that uh, that have a need at running back, obviously, once injuries start to crop up. And, you know, especially a guy like Ronald Jones, very similarly to Carlos Hyde. I mean, a guy with with certainly some track record. Uh, yeah. It's not like a nobody, you know, He's that's a, a guy that yeah. that uh, that you certainly can can sell uh, maybe a little bit easier. So turning over to the wide receivers, there's obviously a ton of speculation about how this room is going to shake out. We've been talking about it on this show, um, barring injury to any of the these guys or a trade, uh, which certainly doesn't seem likely. You've got McCole Hardman. You've got Juju Smith-Schuster. You've got Marquez Valdez-Scantling and you've got Sky Moore. And I'd say those four guys are locks. But that leaves still, depending on how the rest of the roster shakes out, one to three spots for, for wide receivers. And you've got a lot of names in the mix there. You've got Cornell Powell, their fifth-round pick from last year, who spent the whole year on the practice squad. You've got Justin Watson, who's a little bit of a journeyman. He's, I think, 26, bounced around a little bit. You've got Josh Gordon, who obviously is the, is the second most experienced receiver as to the Chiefs because he was on the team last year and none of these other guys were, I guess I'm besmirching a little bit Doris fountain who was yeah. around last year as well. And then Corey Coleman, you know, former first round pick with the Browns. I, I don't feel like I have a good sense at all of how wide receiver five through seven, if they carry seven guys or five through six, if they carry six, how that's going to shake out. What have you been hearing? Yeah. So um, my guess, if everyone is healthy, uh, is that that five and six, five would probably be Justin Watson. Six would probably be Doris Fontaine, specifically because of their special teams ability. Now, Fontaine um, has a, a groin injury right now, and I think he, he was dealing with that injury earlier this offseason as well. So now it's kind of like a nagging, returning type thing. And uh, at, at the last practice, Cornell Powell was actually getting some of those snaps with the first team that that Fontaine was getting. So I, I think that, that that kind of opens up a little bit of competition there. And um, Powell, I, I mean, from from the early goings of, of camp and whatnot, he was a little quiet, but uh, he's flashed a few times from, from what I understand and uh, as a receiver and not just on special teams. So that that's exciting because I, I feel like he didn't really get much of a fair shake um, when you consider things last season, uh, really, I mean, he had that one great reception against the 49ers. I think that was like the, the one picture I had of him that I had to use on Chiefs wire all the time. But <laughs> I, I was always reminded of that because it was a great play. And I, I was like, man, if they could just like harness that and, and get that out of him, uh, you know, uh, on special teams and on offense that, you know, uh, he could be a great piece for, for this team. And yeah, I think it's it's possible that he ends up kind of coming in and swooping in and being that that sixth guy. Okay, I, I have to ask about the pronunciation. We have said Fountain the entire the entire <laughs> of his career. You're you're emphasizing the Ain, the second syllable. <laughs> have you heard him say his name? Do you know? I, the fact? I, I, I'm gonna have to look it up in the pronunciation guide that's, for for y'all. But that's, I've been a, saying Fountain for a while. He's got it's, a pronunciation guide. He's it's spelled like Fountain, so that's whenever I read it, that's obviously what the first thing that comes to my Fountain mind. Fountain is I, actually a cooler name, though. Like, Fountain is really cool. It, it reminds me of like an older like Fountain. A, yeah, yeah. It's it's got a nice little ring to it. It's distinguished. Yeah, I I think this is just like my editor brain popping in here because <laughs> sure. I, I try to 
every time I, I use his name to say start like a sentence or something, I always get the little, you know, the red, red dash underneath, like, uh -huh. like this isn't, this shouldn't be here. So right. I, I always have to think of it as, you know, something not, not a fountain, but fountain. fountain. <laughs> I, I just wanted to circle back Charles to Cornell Powell. And yes. obviously when the chiefs drafted him, he was an older prospect. He didn't really get a chance to play wide receiver last year, but as you mentioned, you know, with the fifth and sixth spots really coming down to, I mean, those are guys that are going to have to play heavy special team snaps. And really, of all the guys on this list, he's the guy that, to me, has the most promise as a special teamer, just because I know he did a lot of that at Clemson. He's a guy that, when he was drafted, you know, the Chiefs sort of said, this is a guy that could could be a four-core special teamer. I, I don't know that much about Watson, and I don't know what, what he offers as a special teamer, but obviously that would mean, you know, if you've got um, Watson and fountain or fountain, fountain. Or he's that, fountain that would mean me. that 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 would mean josh gordon not making the team uh do you think he has any chance of making the roster i i don't feel good about gordon's chances right now i've heard that the issues with drops that he had last season when he was kind of on the the chiefs 53 i've heard that those have persisted a little during training camp um and, and they've been trying to get some other guys you know snaps uh to give them a chance to showcase. I, I think it's sort of a, a, one of those things where like they they've been there, done that, seen what this guy can do. And, you know, they're kind of realizing that, you know, maybe it's still, it's still the same, <laughs> the same as it was back then. And uh, they want to see more of these other guys to see what they can do because they're going to have that, that better chance. Um, now, I mean, it, this could also change on a dime. I mean, if you, I, he has blows up during the preseason and you know just goes like full randy moss one game <laughs> against some third stringers i mean you never know it could I'm andy could have a change of heart i mean he doesn't even need to go full randy moss he needs to go full josh gordon yeah like <laughs> that's enough that's plenty but let's not kid ourselves everyone in this wide receiver room is just keeping the seat warm for next year's wide receiver one justin ross anyway so <laughs> i guess it right. doesn't really matter what this battle is because it's gonna it's all gonna be moot next year uh, let's talk about the big guys for a second. We've been kind of go doing the skill position players so far, but well, they're fun. We they like are fun. Skills. They're, they're very fun. Chicks dig the skill position players, um, at obviously the right tackle battle. That's the one where Andrew Wiley apparently, or seems like he has the inside track. He's the veteran. He played in the super bowl. He's got the resume. Um, but you know, he also benefited pretty greatly from Lucas Yang's injury. And I, I wonder kind of out loud if Lucas Nyang would be the guy right now if he hadn't uh, gone down so early. And Kennard is a rookie, and obviously, you know, by this time last year, even after just a, a little bit of training camp, it was very obvious that Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith were ready to go. They were NFL ready. They were going to be on the line. That was, like, not even a surprise at all. So I think if Kennard was kind of that level of insane, you know, rookie prospect that was ready to go we would know by now so do you kind of feel like this right tackle battle looks like it's going to be wily are there any surprises along the line depth or any any like line stories that you didn't really see coming so uh from my understanding on the last practice what thursday um orlando finally got back in during teamwork he had been kind of the first couple days he'd been sitting back during like team drills i think he did nine on seven he wasn't doing seven on seven, 11 on 11 stuff. Mm -hmm. um, 
so so he wasn't doing any of that and, and now he's back in on that and that caused Roderick Johnson and Jerron Christian to become the second team tackles. Yep. I think Roderick was playing left and Christian was playing right. So where does Kennard go? I think he ended up either on third team or maybe they were playing him a guard that day. I, I, I get the same sense that you do. I think that if Kennard was on the same level as Smith or Humphrey, we'd probably see him mixed in with that first team a little bit more now. And he hasn't really been getting those opportunities. It's a high bar to clear for his to his credit. I mean, that's right. insane. Now, now things could change. Say that Wiley gets injured because hey, look, that was that was Trey Smith's path to um, getting the opportunity to become Good a point. starter. Uh, it was it was uh, first. You know, Kyle Long gets injured. He's out for a significant period of time with like the the knee thing he had going on mm-hmm. and, and then they had laurent duvernay tardif in there and he breaks his hand so he can't um you know play so they put trey smith in there and boom you've got like you know potential future all pro you know playing right guard for you um I think that there's probably a possibility that like maybe something wild like that happens and they throw Kennard at right tackle and boom, he's, you know, the guy. But I, I think, you know, that there's got to be a lot of things that go right for that to happen this season. I think that the Chiefs, that Andy Heck, um, that that they're all comfortable, like, letting him be like a depth guy this year, um, letting him, bringing him up slowly um, and, and letting Wiley go out there and do his thing. Because, frankly, Wiley was – a little bit underrated last season. Like he did good job against some really good players. Yeah. Um, uh, specifically his former teammate, Max Crosby. Yeah. Um, he owned it. Yeah. He, he, he really did an, a fine job. So I, I think he's kind of earned that opportunity um, to this point. I, I think they're going to roll with him. Um, I, I think they're not in a hurry to rush Lucas back from, from the active PUP. I think they're going to take their time with that because I think they do know that he can be a contributor, not just at left uh, or at right tackle, but also potentially at left. Like he could be that that swing guy that they need. So they want to get him right, get him healthy, get him back on track there, and uh, they'll kind of uh, they'll kind of go from there. I think with the with the tackle position and let the competition work itself out. I think uh, right now Roderick Johnson, you can kind of pencil him in as the swing for the time being, um, and. Nick Allegretti, obviously, kind of that backup interior guy. He can play both center and guard. And, you know, we'll see uh, where they where they go with the rest of the spots. I, I, I don't know that you necessarily need to roster a player like Austin Ryder because, you know, he spent quite a bit of time on practice squads last season, not sure. not for Kansas City, but I think he was in Miami and then somewhere else, maybe it was Tennessee. I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but right. I, I, I think you can afford to um, maybe roll with – with just Allegretti and um, and you know the the starting guys on on the interior, maybe another player who has the versatility to kick inside. But um, yeah, I, I think the offensive line is actually shaping up nicely, and probably going to see that same starting five uh, this year as you did last year. Yeah, and I uh, I, I think. I think you're right. We kind of have, have, have been um, trending in that same direction. Um, I did want to add, guys, just on the Trey Smith front, I tweeted 
a year ago today, and I retweeted that this morning. It's early, but if Trey Smith starts all year at right guard for the Chiefs, hmm. he will be the 12th offensive lineman since 2000 to be drafted in the sixth round or later and start 15 plus games as a rookie. That was out of 217 offensive linemen drafted in the sixth round or later. And he did it. I mean, like, but to the point, I mean, like that was the first week of pads this time last year. And I was tweeting, well, boy, if Trey Smith starts every game at right guard, because that's what it looked like a year ago after right. a week in pads. You and, already knew that was a possibility. Yeah. And yes, I, I think, uh, I think we're all on the same page with the offensive line. So, Turning it over to the defense, which for some reason, I, I can't explain why this is. Uh, it always seems to come second on our program. Huh. But uh, Charles, who's been kind of the big standout on defense so far? I know um, Joshua Williams was getting some buzz, you know, last week before the pads came on. After a weekend pads, who have you been hearing good things about on the defensive side of the ball? I mean, that isn't obvious. Obviously, I've seen every year in training camp, there's a video of Chris Jones just bodying people. It happens every year. It happens in the regular season. But, like, especially the first week of, of camp, it's like people show up in the first week in pads. And they're like, oh, my God, Chris Jones. I, I can't. I can't do it. Uh, I, will, so I will say about back. Jones, he, look, he looks even bigger this season. Like, I, I think he, he filled out his frame with some, some good weight and muscle this year. And uh, he, he – I mean, he's going up against Trey Smith, and he's doing that to him. So that that tells you all you need to know. But um, I I think that that to everyone's surprise, for for me, the the standout has been Frank Clark. Interesting. Um, yes. He, oh, he I looks, love it. This is he, content. He I, he uh, looks he looks a lot better. Uh, he looks faster. Uh, he's clearly uh, obviously leaner. I mean, he said that. You know, last year he showed up to camp. He was two sixty two. This year he's around two fifty. He looks um, like he's two hundred. I, I I know, but he. I mean, man, he looks quick. And you know, I I remember one of the things when they traded for for Frank back in twenty nineteen. One of the things I loved about him, he had this just absolutely devastating spin move, and uh, hasn't been as effective the last couple of years. But gosh, I uh, I saw some video of him working that spin move in practice, and holy moly. Um, <laughs> I, I got real excited about uh, the potential there. I think he's going to have a big year. Um, and, and really, I mean, George Karloftis, the power, whew, uh, he, he is very powerful in the one-on-ones. It flashes often. I don't think that it's entirely clicking out there in team, but maybe he's holding a little something back right now. I don't know if, like, they got to his head when they were like, hey, man, like, pull, pull it back during, like, you know, rookie mini camp when they were doing like walkthroughs and he was going like a hundred miles per hour. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if they got to his head a little bit with that, but um, you know, a team hasn't been his forte quite yet. I, I think they'll, they'll let him loose uh, in the preseason and fans are going to be pretty excited about what they see, uh, especially if he's playing with the second team going up against some of those second team tackles. I think he's just gonna, he's going to eat. Um, you yeah, think, think Carl Loftus would start on the second team? I, I think that, you know, that probably he'll end up maybe rotating in with the ones, but I, I think, you know, at least initially, they'll probably look in at, at the veteran guys and let Dunlap and, and probably Clark. Oh, I keep I, forgetting I, about Dunlap. You're right. You're I, right. I, I would imagine that Dunlap and Clark are probably the starting unit. And then, you know, they rotate in with like Dana and, and Karloftis. Um, and, and I, I deep oh, depth. Okay. I was also I was also really impressed with with Mike Dana. I think that like he had some really nice snaps and 
can be a good rotational piece. Uh, really, my my main takeaway is I think this defensive line is going to be better than than we're expecting. I, I just think that yeah, I mean, you got Chris Jones there in the middle. You got Tershawn Wharton who looks like he stepped his game up. Derek Nadi super underrated. Um, Colin Saunders is a guy that you know has been. I, I think you know we saw in um, uh, the franchise like. Um, Joe Cullen kind of considers him like the the pace car for the defensive line. Like he yeah. kind of sets the pace for everybody. So I think that he's going to end up making it and probably, you know, rotating in there and working really well with, with the rest of the group. And, um, you know, adding Dunlop, I think that, uh, that kind of can be the missing piece to take this from like a, like decent group to good to great group. Do you think, Charles, we obviously saw the Chiefs struggle at various points last year at all three levels of the defense on the defensive line uh, in the linebacking core and then in the secondary at various points. It sounds like you maybe have already answered this question, but do you think the defensive line is where they've made the biggest area of improvement? And if so, where would you say where would you say the, the biggest weakness on this defense is? Yeah, I think uh, I'll start with the weakness. I, I think that that's got to be the secondary, specifically the cornerbacks right now. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think that's an area where you know we're gonna we're gonna find ourselves uh, looking at some of those those old like like 2016 teams or like you know the 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 teams where like Marcus Cooper was having to like spot start and you're like ah like like they're they're finding that guy that matchup guy yeah um, who's a problem. And um, I, I think that, you know, with the amount of youth that they're having to like start there, that like some guys are going to like take, like there are going to be games where they're going to have to like take their lumps, where it's going to just be a tough game for one of those guys. And whether that's McDuffie or Joshua Williams or, you know, Watson or, you know, one, one of those guys, um, I, I think for that, that secondary and that cornerback group to be really good, like Legarius Sneed's going to have to be like, like, you know, how he was his rookie season, like those right. first couple of games. And, yeah. you know, uh, Rashad Fenton's going to have to, you know, kind of be like, okay, I'm not a bench player anymore. I'm like a, I'm a starter, you know, like have that type of mentality um, and, and come out there and play really hard. And I, I just think those those young guys, they're, they're going to have um, some struggles. And I think, you know, the Chiefs will try to cover the best they can. I think their, their safety group's going to be really good. So that will be uh, an area where they can kind of help some of those young guys. But man, I, uh, I, yeah, I'm, that that was the one group I am probably worried about most, um, uh, offense or defense. I would say. Well, that's that makes some sense, and especially with McDuffie still kind of you know being young. I mean, they're going to have to, they're going to have to, their corners are going to have to kind of trial by fire a little bit there. Um, do you? It's fun to talk about who's going to make the roster, who's going to start week one, all kind of those fun camp stories, uh, who's going to be a late round sleeper, fantasy draft, stuff like that. But another fun thing about camp is we do kind of get a bit of a taste about how the team is going to operate just as a, as a unit. And we know that Andy and his coordinators especially are not going to show a lot of fun stuff in open practices, or at least not as much as what they're planning on in games. But we have already kind of seen some interesting formations and concepts. We had Nicole running out of the Wildcat. We just had, you know, some some different wrinkles. Do you has anything stood out to you about the formation of either the offense or the defense that you maybe didn't quite 
anticipate them lining up like that, or has it been pretty cookie cutter? I, I would say it's been pretty cookie cutter. I mean, it, the stuff that they run when they have the open practice, uh, typically it's stuff they've run before. They don't right. do a lot. Like they'll install like a couple things, but usually it's it's install that they've you know run before or had in the the playbook for a while. Things that that they're teaching really to like the new guys, not necessarily the old guys. Um, and then in those, those afternoons that they have that are, that are closed to the public, um, that's really when they, they get to the innovative stuff. Um, now, you know, I mean, we, I mean, we've seen Nicole take, you know, the wildcat snaps and, you know, we, we've seen some of that stuff before. And I, I think the one thing that you can take away is that like, I think you're seeing a lot more like pre-snap motion and things that, that they use pretty frequently say like you know 2020 circa 2019 and then you know 2020 they didn't have quite you know um quite the amount of unique plays obviously because of the COVID 19 pandemic and the you know different things they they just couldn't work and do quite as much i think and now you know um coming back into a very you know normal type of process all things considered i think that it's allowing Andy to get some more of that creativity out and some of the things that, that, you know, he had in there that really were effective when they had the personnel to kind of run it and, and utilize it. Um, yeah. So I think you're going to see a lot more of the, the motions. I think you're going to see a, a lot more of the different um, personnel groupings that kind of force the, the matchup problems, you know, trying to get running backs isolated against linebackers and then throw to the running backs or, you know, trying to get, you know, good matchup with, with multiple tight end sets or, you know, things like that. Um, you know, uh, I think we're going to see, you know, if they end up keeping four tight ends, I think you're going to see a lot of, um, <laughs> yes. a, a, a lot of those, uh, what do they call it? T-Rex yeah. <laughs> where, yeah. where, you know, you line up, like you're going to just like pound the football and then all of a sudden you're going to flex out and they're all going to run routes. And it's going to be fourth season. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be a nightmare for for defenses to defend. So um, I, I think that uh, you're, you're gonna see a lot more of that type of creativity because, you know, frankly, you you don't have that one player anymore. You don't have Tyree Kill where you can be like, okay, we need to just like, no. you know, push the ball down down the field. So you need to get creative in the ways that you're going to um, get those matchups that are favorable. Do you think Charles? I, there was just one thing specifically that I that I wanted to ask about. I, I saw a video from KCSN, and I can't remember uh, when it was. I think it was earlier this week, but it was a screen, and it was like a triple fake screen, and it reminded me. I don't know that the parts were exactly the same, but it reminded me of Kareem Hunt's touchdown against the Los Angeles Rams in the 50 point game in 2018, they had dusted off this incredible, like triple play flake screen to the running back that went for a touchdown. God, that play was gorgeous. And I feel like, I don't know what it is. If you have some insight on this, I mean, you obviously mentioned the playbook's been a little bit simplified with, with COVID and not being able to practice this stuff. We know that Andy's like, the screen God. And he's like the greatest head coach in NFL history at running screens. I feel like we just haven't seen that many cool screens the last couple of years. And I don't well, know if it's because they're hard to practice or, or we don't have the personnel, but are they going to come back? 
I, I absolutely think they are. And uh, I will tell you what it is. And the reason they couldn't really do that is just because the, the issues on the offensive line. Yeah. I mean, you, you have injuries and stuff like that. You, you really need to have a group that like has been together to like flawlessly execute those the way they That's are intended. Um, so now you're getting the same starting offensive line returning, mm-hmm. you know, together uh, mm-hmm. a, a year. So I, I think Andy's going to have more trust and feel more comfortable I think the players are going to feel more comfortable executing those plays. And um, and now, hey, you've got a running back in Isaiah Pacheco who can has the vision and ability to get to, to kind of execute those mm-hmm. a little bit better than maybe Clyde or, you know, Jarek can. So I, I think that – And know, the burst when he yeah, gets out there. Exactly. Yeah. You, you want know, him he in, had, in the open field with the ball, yeah. 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 So I, I think that – I think that you're going to see a bit of a resurgence and um, mm. it, it's, it's could be a great thing. Um, Music's you know, my ears, man. Well, that is, I love that screen game. Yeah. What you don't want to see happening though, is that, you know, you, you start using them and then all of a sudden, you know, that you, you get tackled behind the line of scrimmage and now you, you don't have a Tyreek Hill to kind of help you. <laughs> No, but you do have a Patrick Mahomes. And and I feel like if teams want to sell out for the screen, like freaking good luck. Go for it. Get, get, you know, go out into the flats as much as you want because they're going to, the moment they start seeing that, they're going to take advantage of it. And, you know, I do think also that if they're going to try and play that coverage, that two-eye coverage that that really frustrated the team at times. Yes, the Tyreek coverage. Um, you know, now, yeah, I think they're going to feel com- comfortable, confident to run the screen game or, you know, pound the football a little bit more than, than they had uh, last year to, to get teams into a more favorable defensive look. Well, and Andy certainly strikes me as a play designer that he would benefit more from having more pieces than he does from having elite pieces. You know, and and yeah, of course they benefited from having Tyree Kill. But I think when he goes away, and now you've got three wide receivers that are coming in with Juju and Sky and MVS that can all do some fun stuff. Like it just kind of feels to me like the Mad Scientist is almost going to enjoy that more because he could put all those guys somewhere <laughs> that Pat. All he needs to do is find one of them, and it works. So I'm I'm just really excited about the offensive philosophy and the development there. Speaking of more, we haven't even talked about Sky Moore. No, and he's, been, he's been the star. He's been, he's been uh, phenomenal. I mean, it's to the point where like, they're literally like, they, they've seen what he can do uh, one-on-one against, you know, top team. They've seen what he can do as a punt returner. Now they're like lining him up at running back. It's like, <laughs> it's like, what, what can he do? Yeah, he's a a fun piece. I'm really excited for him. So we're going to wrap this up with just a kind of quick temperature check on the AFC West. They brought superstar additions and premium positions for all those teams, whether that's Devontae Adams, Russell Wilson, J.C. Jackson, Khalil Mack, Chandler Jones. I mean, they the talent infusion into the AFC West is more than I can remember on any division in football, certainly in the last 10 plus years. I mean, it was insane this offseason they had. So... They brought all these guys in. The Chiefs on their end, yeah, they they brought some talent in, but they shipped out Tyron Matthew. They shipped out Tyreek Hill. Do you see the six-time defending AFC West champs as still being the betting favorite for the division just based on the pedigree, based on the quarterback, the coach, their owning of these other three teams in general? Or do you see this race to the point where it's, I mean, it's anyone's 
bag. It's not really the Chiefs, you know, to go out there and say they're the prohibitive favorite. How do you kind of see the West shaking out right now? Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I just, I have a hard time picking anybody yeah. but the Chiefs. How could you? Yeah, that's right. It's just, um, I, the big thing for me is like Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are still there. Like, right. like those are those are the the best drivers. QB, best coach. Right. Yep. And Andy's got 100% more wins combined than than every other coach in the AFC West. I mean, yep. you have a rookie coach in um, in Denver. We saw how that worked out for the Chargers last year. They couldn't even make a win and in against the Raiders. No. Um, you've got Josh McDaniels, who I, I think he will probably do better than than we're expecting. Um, I better than take... his first tenure with Denver, probably. <laughs> I mean, right. hard to be worse. I, yeah, I, I don't be think um, I, I don't think you can take away anything from like the Hall of Fame game, right? I think no, obviously, obviously the second string of the of the Raiders, a, a playoff team last year, is going to be better than the than the second string of the Jaguars, who sure. won three games, but. Sure. Um, like I, 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 and then the Chargers, they've always been great on paper. Like the last like seven years, we've heard it. They're, yeah. they're always the off season favorites. They got to prove it. Um, so it, until I kind of see something from these teams where I'm like, okay, like, yeah, they're, they're starting to prove it. Um, I, I have a hard time picking anyone, but, but the chiefs to go out there and win the division and potentially, you know, compete for, for Super Bowl again. Charles, thank you so much for your time, for all the work you've been doing with both Chiefs Wire and KCSN Daily. Um, it has been you know, a blast to talk to you about the camp, and hopefully we can uh, get this thing going again sometime in the future. Um, the temperature check on the Chiefs, if you were going to give a weather forecast, how would you forecast the Chiefs' future? It's always sunny in Chiefs' kingdom, baby. 